Good morning. It's raining. Uh, if you have a Bible, I think there's one below your seat somewhere, turn to Psalm 22, um, which is on the same page that Psalm 22 is on. I don't know what page it's on, so if you could find it, turn, turn there. We're going to look at God's Word together. It's the Word of God. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to, to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. All man's glory is like the grass and the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God, it stands forever and ever. Will you pray with me? Lord God, um, wow. Wow. What a, 
What a word that you have spoken to your people through your son, David, and through your son, Jesus. Lord, um, for those who are coming here that don't want to hear your word today, that are just beat down, Lord, would you let me not be a distraction to them, but would you lift high Jesus to them? Would you encourage them that they are not alone? Lord, we need you to show up. Lord, our hope is that you would show up, that you would change us through your word as you promised to do, that you would lead us to worship, Lord, even especially, Lord, in our sorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm pinch hitting today. Uh, My name is Andy Johnson. It's a great honor and privilege to be here um, proclaiming the good news this morning. Um, there's so much I could say. Um, I'm, the, I'm your RUF campus minister to UCF, which if you don't know where UCF is, it's right there. You can see it right there. Um, I've been coming here, and God has used this church in more ways than I could uh, even begin to imagine um, to, to, to proclaim to you right now, and we don't have time because it's a great day. Um, we get to hear from God's word, and then we get to to partake in um, the two greatest illustrations of the gospel there are. And I'm especially excited about those, but my sweet daughter will be baptized um, today, um, and I'm, I cannot tell you how sweet that is for me and my family. Um, when Matt asked me to preach, um, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, he said, uh, we're going to do this psalm thing, pick a psalm. Immediately, right, what psalm would you want to preach on but lamenting? Uh, so I, no, it, it took me probably two seconds to pick Psalm 22. It's a Psalm over the last four or five years that has meant a ton to my own soul. Um, it's a Psalm that I've probably quoted more than any other Psalm when I'm talking to college students, because let's face it, um, the world is broken. Life is hard, right? Life is hard. I asked my five-year-old this week, what's the hardest thing about being a five-year-old? And immediately, you know, his response was kindergarten. And that's true uh, for a five-year-old. And I said, well, what's the best thing? And he's like, art class. It's like, that's probably true, too. I was thinking maybe, maybe PE, but that's debatable. And then, so I asked my two-year-old, what's, you know, what's the hardest thing about being a two-year-old? And immediately he said, time out. <laughs> and I was, it's like, I'm not even, I can't even, that's it. We had to stop there and we just prayed. Uh, <laughs> You know, I was thinking about this Sunday, and I couldn't help but think about um, 265 days ago, which you guys know what that was, 38 Sundays ago, um, Kelly and I, Kelly's my wife, she's right there, um, we had come to church after one of those weeks, um, I could say one of those seasons, we were done, um, after almost a year and a half of entering into the adoption process, since we started the adoption process, there was no pulse, nothing was happening. Um, We were frustrated. Um, We were just worn down, beat down, feeling alone. God, where are you? Um, A good friend had just gotten a a placement for adoption. I was sort of excited. And you know those moments where you're excited and and, uh, you feel like a brat because you're a little bit um, sad that it's not you. Maybe like Psalm 73 or something. I don't know. Your envy comes out. God, what about us? Um, 
wondering where in the world God was. And um, Kelly, being the more mature one of the two of us, which is obvious, uh, at the end of the service said, we need to have Aaron, Aaron Chrissy, who I don't know if he's here this morning, but good friend of ours, been a good friend since college, um, is in our, our life group. We should have Aaron pray for us. And we were so desperate, I didn't even argue. I mean, isn't that crazy to have a good friend pray for you? You know you have to be desperate when you ask a friend to pray for you, right? I'm just kidding. But it's true, kind of. Um, So we went back over there, and Aaron said a sweet, sweet prayer. Um, In the middle of of our lament, um, he planted seeds of hope. That Tuesday night, at the end, so 363 days ago, at the end of large group, um, RUF large group, after I'm teaching last song, uh, many of these RUF students, I think, were probably there that night, um, we got the call that we had been chosen by a birth mom. Today, um, you know, I, I, the story is too, I'm, you know, it's an emotional day. I, just don't want to, I don't want to lay in the fetal position this whole time. Um, but then a week later, we would be holding for the first time our, our daughter, um, And I say that because I would ask you to join with me in praising God today, starting at the end of what David, I mean, echoing the words of David in Psalm 22, 22. I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or poured the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. I say that, would you join with me, as, even as we talk about this stuff today, even throughout this whole worship service? Because I know um, this is hard. It's hard for some of you today. But, but together, um, I'm coming here today saying, I'm praising God for what he has done in the middle of our sorrow. Um, you know, there's a few things I want to know before we kind of dive into the, I want you to know. And long of what I've just shared, one is I'm not speaking from the promised land. Uh, what I mean by that is the reason Psalm 22 resonates with me is because I need it. I need it a lot. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an anxious person. You probably, um, wouldn't take you probably long to figure that out. Um, I regularly find myself in need of God to work in me. Um, the summer has been extremely hard. I'm sure many of y'all have been there this summer. Um, being on support raising trail, um, all my fears and insecurities coming out. I say to say, I'm not standing up here saying I'm the master lamenter. The point of this sermon is not me. Second thing I want to say is there are people, again, here this morning who are in the middle of a brutal, brutal time. You're not on that Tuesday night after that you've said your prayer. You're in the middle of where are you, God. Maybe you're struggling with infertility, singleness. Maybe you've lost someone you love and you ache every day. And on the days that you're not aching, you feel guilty that you're not aching for the person that you've lost. Maybe you're a middle schooler, high schooler, and you know what it's like to be mocked, but in the middle of that, of your life, you're thinking, Where are you, God, in the middle of these jerks that are attacking me? Maybe you've had a miscarriage 
and you feel like alone and um, it hurts so bad and you feel crazy that you still hurt, can I just say you're not crazy? Maybe you've been crushed by ones that love you, that were supposed to love you. You've been not cared for by those who were supposed to care for you. Um, As we come to Psalm 22 today, I mean, this is what I love about the Psalms, is it's real. These aren't just words about God. They are the very words of God, which are powerful for our salvation in the middle of our sorrow. See, there's my girl. This psalm is an invitation for you, whoever you are, in the middle of whatever you're in, not to just come smiling, but to come as you are. This is amazing. Well, where are we going this morning? Um, I mean, really, if I, like, what, what do I want you to prime your heart with? What do I want you to take away with you? You know, this is something I say to students in RUF a lot. It's something I say to my own heart a lot. But, but hear this. Not once in the history of redemption has God forsaken one of his children. He is not going to start with you. Therefore, lament. Not once in the history of redemption has God forsaken one of his children. He's not going to start with you. Therefore, lament. I'm going to try to break this into three parts. Um, I'm a very orderly person. You'll find out soon. Uh, but really, I, I, w- I, want you to, I want you to see Jesus in this. Um, the three things I, we're going to be talking about as we look at our text is what is lamenting? I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think about it enough. So what is lamenting? The second thing, why is lamenting important? Why is lamenting even important? And then the third thing, what is the hope of the lamenter? What is the hope of the lamenter? So going into that, what is lamenting? As we look at our text this morning, as we look at Psalm 22, first let me just point out that this is King David giving it to the choir master for corporate worship. But he's giving us a picture into uh, himself. Um, And this isn't just somebody. This is the king of Israel. Um, It's a pretty remarkably, strikingly honest prayer. Right? I mean, could you imagine a king being this honest and transparent about what it feels like to be him? Can you imagine anybody being this honest? Well, King David is honest. You know, if I was going to define lament, um, let me just give you some categories. Lament is larger than feeling sorry that you've sinned. It encompasses pain, hurt, confusion, anger, betrayal, despair, and injustice. I would put it this way. In some ways, lament is, is crying out honestly to God in and with our groans and fears. It's going to God in our shrieks of anguish, with our fears and with our pain. Michael Card said this, Biblical lament is not complaint that goes nowhere. It's the people of God planting seeds of hope in the soil of exasperation and despair, expecting that the Lord will come through in the end. I love the fact... um, I love, one of the things I love about technology, um, besides a lot of things, but one of the things I do love about technology is now that you, you can right, you can basically watch a YouTube clip and it can teach you basically how to do just about anything, things that you never knew you'd be able to do, right? Like, like I never thought I'd be able to do a small surgery. 
And now I'm like, wait, no, sorry, sorry. Thanks for your wake. Uh, but really, like, I mean, I know for us, even Harper's hair, learning how to do her hair, like breaks, thing. I mean, there's things I've definitely blown up because of YouTube. But but having that example to look there and walk through um, is it's saved us a lot of money and I think a lot of tears and maybe well never mind. Um, but in Psalm 22, David kind of gives us a great example, sort of this clip of his, himself going through his lament, going through what it's like to lament. Is there other examples? Yes, that's why I think we need more psalms. But his, I think, is a fantastic example, a model to us of how to lament. Because I don't know about you, I don't know how to lament. It doesn't come natural. I don't know how to, to complain. I don't know how to gripe. I don't know how to lament really well. So let's, let's just go through some of this. We'll get through what we can, and then the music will play at some point, and they'll play me off of here, and it'll be, that'll be good. Um, verse 1, David cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And forsaken right means abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my, from, from my groaning? I'm crying out, but there is no answer. Day and night, but I have no rest. David cries out, and this is extremely important, for what lamenting is. As children of God, we cry out. Romans 8, verse 15 says, For you did, this is the Apostle Paul, for you did not re- receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, lamenting is crying to our father. The picture of Abba Father I think I typically get is sort of this picture of like, you know, you did all your chores, and there's this big father who's got like the really comfy robe on. You like run and jump. You do the knife opener, can opener, the Ben Sarlos, and uh, right into his lap, and you're like, the crying out of our is like, Daddy, Daddy, I want a big old glass of milk. Sorry, sorry. That's the picture I have often of... Kelly's tracking with me a little bit on that. <laughs> no, she's not. She's like, what have you just done? Uh, she's lamenting right now. Uh, this sort of this picture, that's the picture I think of how we view our, like what it means to have God's Father. We're, we've done well, we can go and cry out. Give me something nice. Sinclair Ferguson says this, and I, this is helpful to me. Paul speaks here about the Christian, and he's referring to, again, to uh, Romans 8, crying, Abba, Father. The verb he uses, crazine, and in the New Testament, it denotes a loud cry, often a cry or shriek of ang- anguish. Our Lord's cry on the cross, a woman in childbirth. The picture is not that of a believer resting quietly in his father's arms in childlike faith, but of the child who has tripped and fallen, crying and out in pain. Daddy, daddy. That cry is the mark of the presence of the spirit of adoption, not less because it shows that in time of need, it is towards our Father in heaven that we look. So David shows us this. Daddy, Daddy, I'm hurt. I'm on my face. He cries to his Father in his anguish and pain. He's honest to God about his experience. Well, in verse 3, right, what happens? He doesn't just stop with his current situation. He reflects on what is more true than, than his situation. He's honest about a situation, but he goes beyond that. He goes to the word of God, to the character of God, the way God has always treated his people. He goes to God himself, and that is what he primes his heart with. 
God, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. In you they trusted, and you, de- and you delivered them. They cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. If you read Exodus, go read some of Ex- read Exodus or Numbers twenty-one. Read the book of Exodus, and you'll see a people who God shows up, delivers them, and they think, you know, a few days later, God, why have you brought us down here to kill us? You're not going to show up. He shows up again. <laughs> They're just like us. Read those books. But this is where David goes. He goes back to the scriptures, to the faithfulness of God. He goes to the character of God, and he talks to God. David recalls God's faithfulness characters. You see, though our situations change, our emotions are like this, right, sometimes. Mine sometimes are like that. God does not change. He has not once in the history of redemption dropped one of his children. He will not start with you. Though it does feel that way, doesn't it? Well, verse 6, David goes back to his situation. So he's gone in. Now he goes back to his situation. You see, he's showing us an honest conversation, not just a monologue or complaining. I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They're saying, hey, he trusts the Lord. <laughs> Why didn't the Lord just deliver him? I and mean, this is what is happening to him. Not only are people not getting him, they want him they're, they're mocking him. His situation, he's being despised and mocked. He feels all alone. He says, God, this is what's happening. You see, the laments in the Psalms, they typically recount being wronged or this declaration of innocence. I'm being persecuted. I'm being beat down. Or the confession of some, some wrong that we've committed. Right? We just sang Psalm 130. It's a beautiful lament. Crying out to God. Well, here David is saying, they wag their heads, they make mouths at me, they're mocking me, God. But in verse 9 and 10, yet... Before he recalled God's faithfulness to his people, here David recalls God's faithfulness to him. So in verses 3 and 5, what does he do? This is the pattern David gives us. God, you've always been faithful to your people. He looks at God's track record's character. And now he goes into it more personal. God, look how you've shown up with me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He goes to this personal, this is where you've been in my life, God. You have been faithful. It doesn't feel like it now, but you have always been faithful. This is the pattern of lamenting, I think, in verses 1 to 10 that I think is just wonderful. Right? It goes from I, my, this is where I'm at. This is what it feels like, God, as he talks to God. Then it goes to you, God, God. This is verses 3 and 5. He goes back to I, to me, to his situation, and then he takes it back to you, God. And then verses 11, 21, he goes into, again, his situation, but he's going, um, asking for God to show up, to deliver him. Um, you know, most of us in this room either tend to go t- towards despair, I would call it despair, which is the I or my with no God, right? Or we tend to go to God without the reality of our situations, which I guess you could call delusion, um, which is the side where we go, it could be worse. We're aching, on, if we're honest with ourselves at times, you know, I know there's people that here this morning that aren't lamenting, and that's great. That's why we're a family and we need each other. But, but those times when we're, when we're aching, um, is it really... I don't want to go. See, I'm not going to try to go off on too many of the tangents. Um, but our tendency is to try to dismiss what it really feels like to be us. And we try to hide that. So we say things like, God, it could be worse. Or we say, it could be worse, which is true, right, in some way. 
But that doesn't help. It's not reality. The reality is, is you're aching and you feel all alone. And you need God to speak into that. Or you just say, everything's great. I'm great. Everything's great. And the reality is, you might be great. But as we look around this room today, I guarantee you, there's a lot of people who came here today that don't want to be here because they're hurting so much. And this is where they need to be. And this is where I need to be. Because we need to hear from God. Um, but verses 21, 11 through 21, this, this is where I think, let me backtrack for a second. That's where I think verses 1 and 10 are so helpful. That pattern. God, this is what it's like. God, you've always been faithful. We need to prime our hearts, plant those seeds of hope in the middle of our despair and desperation. But also not dismiss the reality of what it's like to be us. Um, but in verses 11 through 21, it's David being honest again of his situation. He's helpless. He's asking God to be merciful. Um, I'm not going to go through all that because we honestly just don't have a lot of time. Read, read those things later. We've, I've already read them once. Um, but it's a very practical application just to stop for a second. Can I encourage you to use to try to use this pattern this week? It doesn't have to be an hour, but when your fears, your despairs, your aches come up, when your numbness even arises, when you feel like you don't even have feelings this week, Go to God with your fears. One of the hardest things I think for me, I've just realized in the last few years, is it's hard for me to be honest with God about what I'm afraid of, what I'm really afraid of. And I won't go into great details with that because, again, it would be of no help if I'm in the fetal position all day. Uh, But, you know, David is showing, King David is showing us that we can go to God as we are with our fears, with our joys, with our sorrows. But go with that pattern, 1 through 10. Try it this week. If anything, go and tell God what you're afraid of this week. That's very simple application. Second thing, second thing I want to talk about today is why is lamenting important? And, and I want to talk about this um, by talking about some reasons why I think it's really important, but also some reasons why I think it's really hard. Um, what are some reasons why lamenting is important? And what are some reasons why it's really hard? Well, here's a reason why. Um, God has called us to, to worship in truth. When you think of worship, do you think of lamenting? When you think of like, man, we worshiped God. Does that ever, does, would that would ever cross your mind that that should include in our minds laments, sorrow, tears? Lamenting is part, should be part of under, our understanding of worship. Giving God his worth wherever we are. He's our rescuer. Apart from him, we are helpless. God, where are you? Truth is, we need to lament because we are broken and helpless. And we live in a world where Jesus hasn't come back and every tear has not been wiped away. So as we live in that time waiting, the time when Jesus has already showed up, but he hasn't come back and made everything new, we we lament. We need to lament. Listen, we're already lamenting whether we know it or not. Right? What do you think? I think in a lot of ways, what do you think busyness is? We take our laments somewhere. We take our anguish somewhere. Why do you think addictions are so hard for us? I think one of the reasons, I'm not saying it's going to solve every addiction or every um, busyness problem, is because, uh, but one of, the, one of the reasons we need lamenting is because we need healing. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking to, some other day and talking about what do you think some barriers are to lamenting and his response is what good would it do 
What good does it do just to cry? Crying doesn't do any good. You got to action, action, action. Can I? I'm just going to quote Andy Osenga real quick. God help the man who helps himself. He needs no other devil. God help the man who helps himself. He needs no other devil. This is exactly why we need to lament. Really, lamenting is a way of acknowledging one of the things that is most true that we most try to avoid. We are not Jesus. We are helpless apart from Christ. The king of Israel was helpless in such a way that he needed to cry out and was willing to write it down. What good would it do? I mean, you know, it's one of those questions we ask, why did Jesus weep over Lazarus? He knew what was going to happen. Why was Jesus weeping? Because the world that he loved was broken and the people that he loved were broken. Because the people that he was connected to would never forsake felt as if he had forsaken them. And he longed and he longs for all things to be made new. We long because we hurt over what sin has done to us, to his beloved, to his creation. We groan like all of creation in Romans 8, for the making of all things new. Jesus hurt because he loved, because the people he loved hurt. It didn't mean he was living hopeless. It didn't mean that he didn't have hope. It's the exact opposite. He knew how wrong things were, and he longed for them to be made new. And that's exactly why Jesus stepped onto the scene. Because he came to make all things new. You know, I think, why, why do we need to lament? I think... Because it can make us better husbands and wives and friends. You know, we want out of suffering, we want to fix things. There are things that we cannot fix. I think lamenting puts us in a place where we have to acknowledge we can't fix it. But I think that changes how we do relationships with each other. How many people in here really need fix? I mean, we all do, right, on some level. But how much do we long for, I mean, I know some of us, like, just to be... Who's with me in this? Well, going to God frees us and teaches us how to go toward one another. Not not that we have to fix things. We can't fix things. But so that we can be reminded who is fixing things. And then we can just sit there. And it's hard to sit in that sorrow and not be able to fix it. Why is lamenting important? I think here's another reason. And I, you know, I only got like an hour more, right, Matt? Uh, It could change the lives of your family forever. A few years ago, I asked some RUF students, um, we're just sitting, it became a question I was asking this semester, if there's one thing you could hear from your parents, what would you want to hear from them? You know, it's an interesting question. I think I was expecting to hear, and there was, there was a mixed response. I think I was expecting to hear most of like, I'm proud of you, I love you, I don't care if you're a doctor, I love you. That's what I was expecting, I think, I was expecting. Uh, but you know what I heard? One of the things that kind of resonated with me is a thing I heard quite a few times. Was students say, I would like to hear my parents say that they struggle. I know they struggle. I would like for them to be with me in my struggles. I would like for them to even ask me, what do you struggle with? Where do you ache and groan? I think as we learn to lament, as we do Psalm 22, it changes how we approach our children. It changes how our children approach us. Um, I noticed this with Owen, even at five, our, our five-year-old, like, he loves to hear stories of how I failed. <laughs> I don't too much. But uh, there's something where I, I sit there, I'll be like, 
I went, oh, you know, he's, he's done something wrong. And I'll tell him a story about, you know, my mom's here, so I've got to be careful. Uh, now, these times I'm like, you know, Daddy really messed up a lot, too, when he was a kid, and he needed discipline. And Owen's eyes are like, what? That's amazing. You messed up. Like, <laughs> um, you know, it's not that I want them to know that I messed up, but I want my kids to know that I need, that I know that I need Jesus. I want them to know that I am not their hope. I want to be a good dad, but I want my kids to know that there's nobody in our house who needs Jesus more than their dad. That's one of my hopes for my family. And they see it a lot because I fail a lot. You know, lamenting helps us engage God where we really are. I heard a guy the other day tell me, I know like I can go to God. He said, I I think I know the right answer, but my default where I'm always at is I feel like I got to be cleaned up before I go to God. Do you know this morning, like, those of you who sinned again for the thousand, the time, you know, the thing you said you would never do again, who are here feeling beat up. Jesus says, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You don't have to get cleaned up. You can't get cleaned up enough. Our hope, this is why we need lamenting. And this is the invitation that this, I think the psalm is a call to rest in the middle of our unrest. In the middle of our anxiety, our, our fears. Why is lamenting important? I, I don't. I just, oh man, I got to leave out the best one. Sorry, uh, but let me just give one more. Why is lamenting important? It helps lift our eyes off of others towards the author and perfecter of our faith. Is there any greater barrier? I don't know. Maybe maybe it's me than than comparisons we have with other people. What's it like? What's it supposed to be like to be a Christian? I mean, this is why I think it's important to lament. When you come in here with sorrow, when you feel, think about this. If Jesus showed up to your, you didn't know Jesus, he showed up to your Bible study, your small group, your life group, whatever, and he prayed Psalm, Psalm 22, what would your life group's reaction be? You'd be like, what? God's forsaken you? You'd like kick him and then, you know, something like that. No, you wouldn't. Um, I don't think we'd know what to do. We'd want to like maybe try to fix them real quick. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, but as, you know, as we compare ourselves to others, here's something I could tell you. Um, if you look at my Instagram, I have an Instagram. It's true. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Uh, I, you, I do not capture well my despair and anxiety on lament. And normally the lens in which we look through each, at each other in this world is through things like social media, which I love social media. We need lament and we need context to, to lament because we are lamenting. We're not always, I mean, I have a beautiful daughter. It's impossible for me to take a bad picture of her. But we're not always smiling in my family. We're not. Sometimes, you know, we don't even know, we feel like, what in the world are we doing? A lot of times. And this is what I think lamenting does, not just individually, corporately, it changes how we interact with each other. Because we're all a lot more alike than we think. We all need a savior. There's not a person in this room who doesn't. Um, Okay, moving on. What is the lamenter's hope? Um, I gotta look at my time. Oh my gosh. I am over already. Man, this is the best part. Okay, in two years, I'm going to come back and preach this best part. It's actually turning into a four-part series. Um, 
What is the lamenter's hope? The very last words on Jesus' lips when he died, right? Do you know what they were? Eli, Eli, Lemma, Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling, this is Matthew 27, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He cried out again with a loud voice. And he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into the top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rock split. Praise be to God. Why would Jesus, his last words, why would he quote Psalm 22? You know, it's a good question. I, I think there's, a, there's quite a few reasons. One, because Jesus loved the word of God. He thought very highly of it, so highly of it, he knew that in his moments of greatest anguish and despair, he needed the word of God. When he's being tempted, read the temptation account of Jesus. His response is over and over again to Satan is as it was written. And he would quote scripture. In Jesus' darkest moments, here, he loves the word. He shows us what he thinks about scripture. It's on his breath as he's dying. Another reason is he was in great anguish and pain. In his humanity, like Jesus was, was being killed and mocked and even worse, was about to experience for the first time the Father's wrath. He was about to be truly forsaken so we wouldn't have to be. Why did Jesus cry out? Because he was needed to lament. He needed to cry out to his father because he was in pain. He was being killed. And I also believe, though, when Jesus quoted Psalm 22, he wasn't just bringing to mind the first verse. He was quoting a psalm, a whole psalm. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting verse 1 all the way through the end. A psalm that ends in victory. A victorious, victorious psalm that is saturated in sorrow. The hope of the lamenter, y'all, is the chief lamenter himself. Listen, I I told you that David gave us this YouTube example. And here, now I want to retract that a little bit and say this. You know, when we come to worship a lot, a lot of songs we sing, and this is, we sing great songs here. I'm not starting a fight with anybody. But I think Christian songs tend to be positive hits. They tend to be songs that are what we're going to go do for God and how we're going to do it. God, this week, I'm going to be faithful. And that's great. But Jesus is not just an example of what righteous lamenting is. Jesus is the hope of the lamenter. He's the hope of our lament. Do you understand in Christ, in Jesus, his righteous laments have been credited to you. Our hope this morning is not what we're going to do for Jesus, period. Our hope is that the king has come. He has spoken, and one day he will speak again. Our hope is that his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into the, to heaven have come to deal and are dealing with everything that we can't deal with. Do you understand, if you're here today and you're thinking, Andy, I'm just not that emotional of a, of a person. I know there's probably quite a few people here that feel that way. Do you know that Jesus' tears have been credited to you? Do you understand that his laments are your laments? That frees us up to not go lament like somebody else. I mean, that's why I think if you, if you don't have a lament, or maybe you feel like you can't lament, maybe that's something to go lament over. 
God, I don't know how to lament. I can't lament. I want to lament. But go there boldly knowing that you don't have to do it perfectly, that Jesus has paid it all. This is good news. This is why I'm so excited that we have the two best illustrations. I think, you know, what are the best, you know, if you teach, preach a sermon somewhere, you're supposed to bring your best, best illustrations. I've got them. The Lord's Supper and baptism. This is good news. Those who feel alone and abandoned today. You know what it says in Hebrews 4? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may have mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, in Christ, we have one who not only gets what it's like to be completely wronged, to feel completely backstabbed, broken, in utter anguish, completely alone. He is that. He gets that. But in Christ, we have a king who says what David could not say for himself or to us. A king who says, I have done it. A king who doesn't just invite David, doesn't just invite the congregation, but he invites the nations to himself. And he says these words in Matthew 11, Come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, as we, um, as I said, we have the two greatest illustrations ever. Can I, I'm, let me just close with this. I mean, it might take another hour, but that's okay. Uh, in a short while, my daughter will be baptized. This is not just some sort of empty ceremony or ritual. That's not what we believe here. But from the time that Harper Grace was in her mother's womb, God has been at work. There are things that bring me great sorrow for that girl. What she's going to have to experience in life. But there are things about her that bring me great joy. That she's being brought into a family. The same family with the same... That, that has a God who puts his covenant mark on his children. And when she is baptized, it's not just a chance to sit there and say, oh, that's sweet. It is so sweet. But it's a chance for God to speak to you and for you to remember your baptism. A chance for you to say, I've got a God who has marked me out as his own. A God who promises to his children, he cannot forsake them. A God who comes after the helpless, not the ones who run to him. He runs to us. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel like God is not running. God is running. Would you come, not as you think you should be, but as you are this morning, would you cry out? Even as as she's being baptized, would you remember, would you see what God is like? He wipes away your sorrows. He's wiping away your sorrows. One day he will wipe away all of your sorrows. Before we get there, you know, we got the great privilege of taking the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper is not just a memorial. Though we remember, and Jesus tells us to remember what he's done. In a lot of ways, I mean, there's, there's aspects of Psalm 22, right? We look back. And it's good for us to look back because he's faithful. It's not just a future hope either. But you know what? As we come to the Lord's table today, we need to long for the marriage feast with the Lamb. We need to long for heaven. We need to long for each other those things that we can't fix, that Jesus will make them right. Those things that won't be made right in this life, we need to long for Jesus to make them right. 
As we come to the Lord's Supper, we long for that. But you know what? Today, this day, we need, we need food. We need nourishment. We need the grace of God to sustain us today. Not next week, today. And so we come to Jesus. Jesus knows your brokenness. He knows the brokenness you live in. You don't have to be cleaned up to come. But what I invite you today, those of you who feel alone, abandoned, to come to the Lord's table and taste and touch and and be reminded of the hope of the lamenter, of what Jesus' love is like. His body was crushed for you. His blood was poured out. He cried out in anguish because you're his beloved. He gets what it's like to be broken and be wronged and to be in anguish. You're not alone. You know what? You might forget that this week. You probably will. But today, would you, would you feast? Those of you who are weary and heavy laden, you're not forsaken. And may, I, may this meal on this day shout in, to you in your silence that you are loved and you are not forgotten. The Lord has heard your cry and one day will wipe away all your tears. Not once, you guys, in the history of creation or redemption has God failed one of his children. He's not going to start with you. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I pray that your word would saturate our hearts, that we would be lifted, our eyes would be lifted to heaven, not to, to feeling just sorrow, Lord, but we would have the freedom to feel sorrow. But Lord, that you would plant seeds of hope in our despair, our desperation, that Lord, today we would go out of here knowing that we've met with you, that you aren't silent. Those who go out of here that feel the silence, Lord, would you this week pour out your grace upon them? Lord, as a community, as a body that you've called together, would you help us grow, learn, not be perfect lamenters, but, but people who are being freed to grow, to look more like Christ. Lord, we long, we long for that. Lord, would you, would you be with us now in, in Christ's name? Amen.